0: You're listening to VO Stories, episode 63. Today's episode features the multi-talented actor Ramon DiOcampo. Whether he's narrating an audiobook like The Diary of a Wimpy Kid series, acting in film or TV, Ramon spent a year on the West Wing. He shares his process to being physically and mentally ready and much more. Stay tuned. Hi. Hi. I'm Tina Zaremba, voiceover talent, mentor, and good old fashioned storyteller. I believe we all have a story to tell and we can all learn from one another. I created this podcast for you, the VO artist who's ready to embrace all that your VO journey has to offer. You'll be inspired, informed, and transformed as you learn from industry experts, VO talents, and my insights from 15 years in the industry, having voiced national commercials to promos and everything in between. Success in voiceovers is more than just a snazzy voice, and this podcast will help show you the way. Thanks for listening. Ramon, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. I have to ask, how did you find yourself narrating books?
1: First off, I'm so happy to be here. Um and, and hearing from you. It's interesting. You know, I came out of drama school, and it doesn't really happen for everyone, but my agent, my uh, my acting agent at the time, said, uh, you might actually be somebody who could do this thing. And um, he went to school with a very famous woman inside of the audiobook industry named Claudia Howard. And Claudia runs or ran at the time Recorded Books Incorporated, which is outside of New York, which is um, one of the big conglomerates of, of audiobooks. Which were not called audiobooks when I came out of school. They were like clamshell tape recordings. Sometimes you call them books on tape. Um, you sell them to libraries. And I was always like a a big, big fan of that genre. My mom always played books on tape for us or or audiobooks for us in in cars on long trips. So I went I went in and um, Claudia had me read a, a little a little selection from a YA book. And she liked me. And maybe six months or a year afterwards, she found me a book. She was like, I think you could do this book. And she put me through my paces. She taught me kind of what it means to be a a narrator um, in at their studio. And uh, that book won a couple of awards. And after that, she, you know, I always tell her, like, she's responsible for keeping me in trousers because audiobooks was really a secondary uh, form since, you know, I, I did primarily stage and mm-hmm. film and television work. And it's only now because of the situation of, of where we all are technologically in the world that um, I could I can do many more books or I, I wouldn't be able to without having a, a booth at home and
0: stuff. I noticed that you voice a lot of books for Penguin Random House. Are you exclusively signed with them? Can you do other books? How does that's that so, work? That's
1: so interesting because actually i I don't do very many for Penguin Random House.
0: Well, you're I've, on their site a lot when I looked at. Yeah,
1: it. I'm no, I'm definitely on their site. i I've definitely done uh, a lot of work for them. Of the like over hundred plus books, I think I've only done about fifteen or eighteen for Random House, for Penguin Random House. Um, How
0: many books have you
1: voiced? Well, I've been voicing books since before they were digitized. So there's a good series of like 50 or 60 books that have never seen like the digital age. But digitally, I think I'm at like 150 or 160. And I think there's probably about 50 more hiding somewhere. Uh, which is not huge sometimes for some narrators, though it is definitely on a higher scale. But when you think I've been I've been in this for a very long time that uh, I've been able to do that many. I know some narrators who will cover fifty books a year, and I've definitely been in it much longer than 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 that would say.
0: So how does this? I know nothing about audiobooks. No, so mind. how does the, how does the process work? Does does someone contact your agent? Do they contact you? Are you then? Do you have to book out? Because I know you're a jack of all trades. You do on camera and theater. So do you have to book out from other jobs for yourself?
1: Well, I, you know, I don't think I don't think it's it's giving up anything to say that that one of the special things about being able to record audiobooks is you can work on your own schedule. You have to be really good about how to make that schedule, but it is it is possible. Primarily, I I do television would be the the thing that I spend most of the time in. So doing television and auditions and stuff take up a a larger portion of my time. And then definitely audiobooks is sort of my um, my, uh, secondary or I, I feel like they're both singular careers. So I wouldn't ever say like anything's really secondary as all of it is acting. When I do my audiobooks, especially... If I can do them from home, like I, I've been doing them more often, then I can adjust my audiobook schedule to deal with my acting schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't book out for audiobooks as much as I'll book audiobooks off for work, for television work and stuff.
0: Can you do that on the set? Can you bring, because everything is so portable now, your laptop and a microphone and in a trailer record? Have you ever done that?
1: No, I wouldn't be able to just because it. there's so much... As much as there's so much downtime on sets, there's so much concentration involved. I What I can do on a set is prep for the next audiobook, because there's so much prep involved in audiobook work. Oh, so tell the, me about that. Yeah. First off, there's, first, there's no as of yet agents for audiobooks. The way that audiobook work is usually gotten is by networking, sending tapes to studios, or, you know, a, a lot of people in the country can actually just uh, start uploading auditions to ACX, the audiobook exchange, which is um, independent audiobooks. And you can go onto acx.com and, well, there's a few of them. I know ACX is Audible's system. I believe Ahab is Penguin Random House's system, but there are a few different places digitally where if you are a non-professional or a professional, you can go in there and just send auditions. So it is possible to actually have not met anyone, get some equipment together and start an audiobook career. You know, it's just as difficult as all, as all the other careers. That That's how I tend to get work is I've, I've been in it long enough that you connect it to some people and they'll send you auditions or they'll send you work if you're lucky to just get work. Immediately, then you have to do all the scheduling. The process for working on an audiobook, yeah, for prepping, it is pretty, pretty deep because I don't really control the kinds of books that come to me. I can say no, I guess, to most books, but usually I'll get a call and they'll say, Are you free in this day to this day? And then I'll either be doing a, like a, a YA book, like you were saying, like a young adult's a diary of a wimpy kid, or I'm working on this beautiful book right now. Or I'll be doing a a really fascinating science deep dive on the nature of sodium bicarbonate. And I'll have to know how to say all of those words perfectly and know what the author means and why the author means it and how the author means it, even though I'm no way a a person who understands how sodium bicarbonate bonds to other atoms, although now I kind of do. So
0: So what do you do for that? Do you well, Google?
1: there's a few different ways. If you think you can handle it, and I've done a few of them, you do, you'll have to reread, you have to pre-read the book. And inside the pre-read, you'll make notes as if you're working on an acting script. So this is your script and you'll make notes from beginning to end. And um, if it's a fiction book, it tends to be, you have to figure out all the characters, how those characters sound, how the author intends the characters to sound, what is it that you can handle physically for the length of, a novel you know mm-hmm. and some of those novels are 200 pages and some of them are a thousand pages sometimes you're you know in a booth for 15 hours worth of book i just finished like a 15-hour book and you know there's two dozen characters or four dozen characters in it and you have to keep them straight for the whole for the whole time that you're working so you have to have all of that prepped and especially for nonfiction, but definitely for science fiction as well there are usually tons of names that you don't know. So there's a research phase involved where I'll go in and I'll look up all of these different words and how you say it on merriamwebster.com or uh, Forvo, or you know there's some voiceover uh, resources for people to, to learn to say things. Or uh, I'll hire a researcher, which is uh, what i usually do if I think there's a book that really will require it, is I'll hire a researcher to go through books and they'll find all the all the terms they I likely won't know, and send it to me in um in a sheet with a uh, IPA with with um, phonetics like drama school.
0: No, that's smart. So then, for the fiction books where there's a ton of characters, do you go through it and the way you would a script pull out those characters and create a backstory for them, as well as really understand each voice so that you don't slip into another voice while you're a different character.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, you, it's a it's a huge acting workout because when scenes come up, you have to understand all the characters' objectives, each of their obstacles, the tactics that they're that they're trying to use, what the author intends. So I wouldn't say that I create a sort of backstory for all the characters, but definitely when it comes to you know the main characters and and close secondary characters, I look closely at what the author has left inside the script. That tells me what their backstory is. So I won't necessarily create anything on my own because um being that it's it's fiction and it's books, like they they've thought about that for me. So they tend to be there are clues inside of the script. And it's not just clues with backstory. Right now I'm 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 doing this great book where there's a, a kid who begins his life kind of dropped into the bottom of a well and then mm. has to deal with what it means to where his parents are very careful with him for the rest of his life, and he, in turn, is not sure how to not disappoint them like he did when he fell into the well. And so there is this psychological layering that happens there. But there are also, inside of that script, you'll find out that a character is twangy, or they speak with a Russian accent, or they're Scottish, or they're Scottish but they grew up in Africa, or... And sometimes that won't come in till the end of the book. So if you go and you start the book, it's a classic narrator fear. If you start the book and you have uh, you're you started a, a a pretty Irish girl named Natasha, and then you find out at the very end that she's actually from Russia, and it says in the last page of the book she says with her thick smoky Russian accent, then you have messed up, and <laughs> you know you have now eight hundred pages of not Russian accent to try to figure out how to like make right in your head.
0: So you read the whole book, obviously, from front to end, the whole thing Absolutely. before you record it. What do you feel is the biggest misconception that voiceover talent or people in general have about recording audio books?
1: I think that and and, and I, I could be wrong, but I, I feel like I feel like voiceover talent might have a different belief and understanding, especially if they do. Uh, video games and stuff, because there's a there's a level of athleticism that has to happen with certain voiceover work and um, audio books is um, maybe the most difficult of that kind of thing, because uh, we're voiceovers in video games are almost like these giant sprints that you have to do of screaming, you know, 40 minutes at a time or two hours at a time. We're, we're now dealing with our union to figure out how to how to keep people healthy. Audiobooks means that I have to figure out how to be in this booth for, you know, to to put down eight hours of talking and then still be all right, which is difficult physically, but also uh, mentally. You know, I try to I try to tell people, like, go go to someone else's books, bookshelf, close your eyes and grab a book off the shelf. Uh, It could be the dictionary and then think about getting into a very dark room and reading it verbatim word for word perfectly with some sort of artistic clarity and you get an idea of really what it means to be a narrator it's something that actually i know a lot of actors i know one in particular we're like i don't know how you do it it made me feel like i've gone crazy they're like i thought i couldn't read all of a sudden because it's it's difficult and you're self engineering often though not always definitely not always like at random house they actually they actually don't do it the same as other audiobook places but um you are usually self-engineering or at least half the time so you're you're watching your sound wave and and you're editing that while you're reading so well
0: so uh, you you have to be very aware as to what's going on with that file so that you don't lose the file or that everything's coming out evenly what do you do to prepare to make sure that your instrument is in shape. You mentioned, and I thought it was a good analogy of it being a certain athleticism. I, do you know who Jennifer Hale is by chance? I don't. She does video games out there and she and I were talking. And first of all, I thought video games were like animation of the old days, the old days. I'm talking about the 90s. Anyways, um, when you would get into a booth with other actors, uh, but video games, you just go into the booth by yourself. And she was, you know, just talking to me about the rigor and the t- it's taxing on your voice, obviously, like you said, from yelling. What do you do to make sure that your instrument, your physical as well as your mental, uh, your mind, stays sane and that you stay well?
1: It's it's really actually a, a, an honest challenge that I think you don't recognize until you you really put your your money down and make a commitment to being a full time voice talent you know in fact in december i had i my like a little virus went around my house and my my wife and my mother-in-law like they got very sick and they both lost their voices and i was like oh I, I, that can't happen and sure enough a week later i lost my voice and that was out for a month it was it was wow. really bad yeah i i went completely silent for a week and a half and then i had to be really quiet for at least another week and a half and then it took Probably another week to get my voice into a place where I feel flexible and confident and supported to keep working. But it it, it was really terrifying, and almost all all voice people have gone through it. But you have to be really cautious about things like weird things. Like it's not easy to stay in loud places. Like you can't really go to bars at night for very long where it's loud because inevitably you'll strain. You'll either talk too loud, or you will hold tension in your throat because you think the next thing will be you'll have to talk loud. And uh, I'm a little bit of a loud talker to begin with, but um, be but that's that's a big one. But now every morning I get up early and I I pound like a great big jug of water uh, to replenish from the night before. I'm I'm very careful. Yeah, I can see them right outside my booth. I have like bottles of water, and it's an amazing amount of water that you have to drink too. I have a, a kind of a specialized steamer for my throat that i that my mother in law got me in England that looks like a giant water bong that because the ones for my sinuses actually just steam up my whole face and uh and this one's sort of like this water bong with a straw in it and that oh. just gets uh, steamed directly onto your throat um, I
0: want the name of that Get me send me the called, brand name of that <laughs> yeah what's it called yeah.
1: Dr. Nelson's inhaler, I believe. Dr. Nelson's steam inhaler. It's something that's been in England since like 1812. It's only in one pharmacy there. But once you ask somebody in England about it, they're like, oh yeah, yeah. Everybody in the West End uses that.
0: And it goes directly onto your vocal cords? So it's
1: a it's it's really steam. just a big steam thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you inhale it, rather than inhaling it up your nose and around your sinuses and then it kind of being your sinuses, it goes into your throat. I can definitely feel it in your cords and in your lungs, but I'll do that every morning. I'll make sure to eat. I used to not.
0: Food you avoid?
1: No, uh, not yet. You have to be a little careful with drinking alcohol, anything yeah. that dries out. Or Although I feel like your best bet is a, a ton of water and real sleep and a really good idea of of, of what your apparatus feels like because uh vocal cords don't have nerve endings so when they hurt there's something wrong (laughs) when your throat hurts it tends to be there's something already wrong you shouldn't like you're made to use that muscle when you speak to laryngologists when you speak to the people who are who deal with the vocal cords or medically deal with vocal cords that's what that's what they tend to say they're like there's almost nothing you can do once you're strained so you you have to think you're here for the long run.
0: Do you do any vocal warm ups or anything on a? Day? Yeah,
1: my my wife thinks I'm crazy, but yeah, I try to do them in the booth now because she. I was like, they, you're lucky you're not you don't live with an opera star. And my my wife is also an actress. She's just not used to the level of vocalizing. I was like, I, I lost my voice. I kind of like make sure I'm limber before I start my booth day. <laughs> uh, so it's actually made a big difference. I used to not do it. I did it for stage all the time, but I was like, I'm speaking with a microphone. It's not that much. And then when you think you're speaking with a microphone for the next eight hours, then, then you're like, oh, no, it's tough. Like you, you have to go. You have to have honest to God vocal rest days. I do a very traditional drama school, like a three and a half page vocal exercise from, from drama school. I drink a big jug of water. I do a little steam I, I make sure to eat something, but partially the eating is not, it, it's definitely for sustenance, but part of that eating is to get like my mouth moving so uh-huh. that my jaw starts to warm up. So that saliva is coming through so that I've always noticed that if you eat something, like something's gone down your throat, like everything's sort of, it's a, it's a warm up for your instrument. Just even a little something will be helpful for me when yeah. you have to time your food too. If you're the minute that you're like your your food is off, you'll start to hear the digestion.
0: <laughs> yeah. The you, mic will pick it up.
1: Yeah, which is weird, but the mic totally picks it up. And then you have to go back and do that sentence again or that paragraph or
0: Yeah, so. yeah. I was asking, we mentioned that you do on camera commercials, which I liked your low spot a lot, by the way. To Thank theater, you. To TV and film. How do you balance all that? Do you say to yourself, okay? this quarter I'm focusing on this? Or do you have any type of intention for yourself for the year?
1: I try to be as zen as I can with what it means to be an actor. That means that you have to know full well that often acting comes in spurts and starts and you don't know where it's going to come or when it's going to come or what it is that you're going to be working on. I definitely make most of my living as a in on television, but I could never tell you how often that's coming or when that's coming or if you know I'm gonna spend the next six months on six months on a TV show or the next year on a TV show or if I'm really just gonna do two or three episodes for the year which is still a lot of money you know mm-hmm. like that's a that's a good living and so I wouldn't be able to figure out when to do that I'd have to I have to go when that comes I go do it You know, and that's available. Yeah. And I think that's part of what audiobooks can afford you is this possibility of staying inside of our world of acting and going off to do to audition or do to 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 go on your commercial auditions or to shoot on on your um, sets. I mean, sets in general, even when you're recurring on a TV show you're not going to be called every day of the week. So on those other days, I've got this other acting job that I get to do. I feel really blessed to be able to do audiobooks. It's really like I get to get up every morning, provided I have work, and I get to act every single morning. So even if I'm exhausted or the book is terrible, and that happens, you know, you get really, really terrible books, I still have to go, all right, I have my acting hat on. I know what it means physically to have to be able to do this. I have worked on this book and I get to do this thing, you know, this long form acting thing. And that's pretty amazing. I think the thing that I, I do have to kind of worry about is my theater stuff actually had to I had to put a little like pump the brakes a little bit on that because that does take a whole other level of like hours and prep and stuff. And
0: sure.
1: here in LA, that that can often be not lucrative enough to so take time out of It was different when I was living in New York and working off Broadway and stuff where that's a job where I can count on that paying my rent. But um, in L.A., aside from a a, a scant specific theaters, there's there's not enough that pay enough to pay a rent.
0: So Mm -hmm. do you have a certain like I don't want to make it so elementary, but three go to's that you go to that, you know, will help bring you closer to the truth?
1: It has to start with the script. It has to start with a script script script, and then and then you can delve into a personal place, but in the same metaphor of us being the 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 musicians and the instrument, it's going to be in the music. You're going to see it in there. You're going to be able to to delve in. I, I was on the West Wing for a year, mm-hmm. and you can feel in those scripts and especially if you watch like the beginnings of that show, you can feel the rhythm happening in there. You can feel the honesty when it clicks in. You, you know when something is right. And our job as actors is to explore that, is to find out like, how do I take this script, this thing that's just a paper or an iPad and, and words and find what is the story? What is the honesty? It's all inside there. I don't have any method of comparing it with other things. Uh, I do think that you have to you have to also be uh well versed in how stories are being told today, and I think that's really important for all actors, but you know I think your level of i don't know talent is is going to be partially what it is that you've prepared and partially how you understand the world of um of acting today. You know, you need to know what good looks like, what good sounds like, what honesty is. What what hit you when you listened to a book that that really got you, or what hit you when you watched a movie that really connected with you? What part of that is also part of your instrument? I think that you know, you don't you 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 don't borrow it, you you steal it. <laughs> you um okay. you don't you don't take it and paint it you digest it uh, mm. and it becomes a part of you and I, I think you understand what it is I think actors uh, understand definitely when you're watching actors you understand even if they're like oh yeah I just you know I watched Brando for for uh, the, the last year and then I came out the other side as Brando or, or if you watch uh, Rami Malek right now playing Freddie Mercury who and not he, he'd kind of had a passing uh, relationship with Queen. And sure, and he's fantastic, but he also steeped himself in that, you know, for a year and kind of breathed Freddie, Freddie Mercury until it wasn't that he was putting on a Freddie Mercury. He was he had digested Freddie Mercury and Freddie Mercury was coming out of him, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's what you're looking for in acting. Like, you don't have to do a concentrated effort on Freddie Mercury, but you can get a real understanding of where good theater really becomes part of your heart and you bring that out so you have to find a way to digest it somewhere and a way to show it somewhere a way to um, to to say it out loud where there's some sort of immediate uh, response where you where you know what you've digested is connecting to something where you can keep you can keep putting it out there where where people can tell you what's going on so that's part of why I think live theater is very important is because You as an artist need that feedback. It's part of the loop of being an artist is that that empty space, that artist and somebody watching, you know, Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. I also really like storytelling. I don't know if you've ever been to the moth before, but just the experience of having someone get up and tell a story and connect with the audience, I think is pretty empowering as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I, I love it. I think I think there is nothing that connects us like story. I think that's what makes us human beings. That's it is through story that uh, wars are stopped. It's through story that that you connect to another person or other entities in in humanity. You know, they used to say that Native American tribes used to do a story circle, and there would be a tribe sitting on the inside of the circle and a tribe on the outside of the circle, and they would tell each other stories and switch their circles so that. By the end of your switching, everybody has heard the other tribes' stories. Mm. And it would be a way of ending wars, you know? But it's through storytelling. And I think that that's, that's the most important, is that we're, we're looking to connect to something human and honest by telling our stories. As simple or as, as complicated as sodium bicarbonate is, or Hamlet.
0: Oh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Let me ask, how can folks learn more about you? My
1: website, uh, www.ramondiocampo.com is probably the best way to do it. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram as Ramon Diocampo uh, as well.
0: All right. Last question here. Maya Angelou says, words mean more than what is set down on paper. It takes the human voice to infuse them with deeper meaning. So with that, what do you hope, Ramon, your voice conveys in life? As well as in work.
1: I think that we've we've actually been skirting around that for the this last part of the conversation. Like, I really think what my goal is, is to communicate a, a level of honesty. You know, I feel like that is the goal of definitely me, but the goal as an artist is to find that resonant honesty, that real truth. And the thing is, it's not necessarily uh, about a perfect instrument you know it's a it's about truth and and it's important because there are a lot of people who believe and this is part of the misconceptions question that being a a narrator or being in in voiceover means you have a specifically deep voice or a a really resonant sound or a very character voice or, or, or whatever that is when in actuality that's only a part of it There's lots of people with really big, perfect voices that can't actually do this thing. That is only a part of it. I think that that instrument has to be connected to a heart. And that's where I, what I think my, my goal inside of all my work is, is how do I find a level of honesty and truth inside of the storytelling? Where does that, where can that resonate with someone else?
0: To have a goal, to communicate a level of honesty for your work and life. That is awesome. I so agree with Ramon that it's not necessarily about the sound of the instrument, but having a deep connection with your heart. I so enjoyed speaking with him. And if you're interested in audiobooks or being a storyteller, save this episode, listen to it again. He's a total pro and all-around good person. Thanks for listening in. Until next week, here's to owning our voices.